Now, let me try to understand this, sir. You have this funny-looking hat in your hand, no pants, and you say you've got to get back to somewhere within 15 minutes, right? Right. See, th this is a time helmet. I I'm from 1890, and that's where I got to get back to. And your trousers? I hung them up to dry in 1890. Come on, we're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And I hope you guys uh, survived that trip through the jungle last week, and I hope you're back with us. Yeah, I, I almost didn't. Uh, I was telling Paul over the weekend, I woke up, had to have been Saturday morning, or no, it was Friday morning after the episode had dropped. It was about 5.45, maybe 6 o'clock in the morning. Went into my bathroom, and I, uh, I popped the window open, and all I could hear was drumming out in the distance. <laughs> and I think legitimately it was the first time doing the show that I've been frightened because of an episode. But then you paid the homeless man in your bathroom $10 to walk with you back to your bedroom. That's what Yeah, he watched yeah. me while I showered. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Yes. He actually did it for free. I don't know. It was weird. Well, you know, like uh, just people, <laughs> like they get paid in different ways, you know. So, um, so I, I call my wife into the bathroom. I'm like, do you, you hear drumming? Yeah, and of course she came into the bathroom and the drumming stopped. And uh, I was like, don't do this to me. Come on. Like, <laughs> you hear that, right? And uh, so, yeah, first time I've been frightened by a Twilight Zone episode since we started this. So, great one. Yeah, no, that's that that's that shows you kind of how it, uh, you know, hung around. So, that's, that's funny. I did not hear drumming. Um, I did get random phone calls from animals, but that's completely unrelated to everything. <laughs> Um, I don't know what that means, but anyway, um, so we go from, from the thing that scared Kevin to something that probably there's not going to be, there's no scares in this episode. There's other feelings and emotions going on. Uh, we have season three, episode 13, um, which is uh, once upon a time and air date was, uh, December 15th, 1961. Number one film, El Cid. I know I'd heard of this before. I looked up Charlton Heston plays a Spaniard, probably doesn't age well. Um, no. I mean, it's a historical epic, but it's like you have Heston playing. I just, I don't know about that, but whatever. Um, number one song is uh, Please Mr. Postman by the Marvelettes. And on this date, uh, born uh, Reginald Hudlin. Uh, he is an African-American writer and film producer. He uh, involved the House Party series. The reason I mention him, though, is that he actually wrote uh, a run of Black Panther comics in the early 2000s, I believe, uh, that were awesome. And there's actually a lot of what he wrote that was foundational for that was used in the film uh, that just came out. So that's, you know, I just saw that he was born that day. And I just wanted to mention that his writing on Black Panther was great. Very nice. Topical. Yeah. I like it. Go. Cool. So we'll jump into cast and crew here. This episode was directed by Norman Z. McLeod. Um, 
he was a very popular comedy director for like Hollywood in the thirties and forties. He worked with the Marx brothers in their early days. Um, he was somebody, he was in retirement when Matheson went and found him and basically said, Hey, I have this really big silent movie actor, uh, which I'm I'm not going to tip my hat yet until we get to the crew, but you guys probably all know. It's a lion um, named Zamba. That's what it is. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. So he's like, yeah, I got this silent actor in this, and uh, I know you never got to work with him. And he was like, yeah, I'll come on and do it. So he actually came out of retirement to do this episode. Yeah. And so, and we'll get into some of the functionality of the episode later. The middle section was directed by someone else. Uh, the the repair shop scenes and, and so, written. Yeah. So there's some, um, there was some, uh, some major overhauls of things, which is unfortunate, uh, when you kind of hear what the original idea was. Uh, so yeah, uh, like, yeah, you mentioned he directed some Marx Brothers films, most known for horse, horse feathers and monkey business, you yep. know, like I, it, a good call to bring him in for, for some of the things they were doing for the episode. Absolutely. Yeah. Somebody who knows this type of comedy, yeah. um, this kind of physical comedy and somebody, you know, we usually don't have people that know comedy this well that are coming in doing these comedic episodes on the twilight zone. So yeah, great, great call by Matheson. Did it pay off? We'll see. <laughs> uh, this episode was written by, as I uh, mentioned, Richard Matheson, uh, one of three episodes that he wrote for season three. Um, and yeah, so Matheson, <laughs> I was very excited about it. <laughs> yeah, no, he, uh, yeah, we'll get into a little bit of that later, but I also want to mention score was by a uh, William Lava, which that's a great last name. And if you don't go around calling yourself Bill Lava, like, I don't, I don't know why, like that would be the best thing. Like, Hey, I'm Bill Lava. Uh, he, um, they brought him in to compose the music that, uh, that we'll talk about during the episode, but he was the last composer and arranger in the classic era of Warner brothers cartoons. So oh, wow. again, it all like there there are some there are some strong foundational things that went into this episode for good reason. Yeah, definitely. Um yeah, it was just weird. You don't really equate Matheson with comedy. No. Um, and this is the second episode he's done with comedy involved for the Twilight Zone. So interesting. I, I don't know <laughs> if I like it, but <laughs> Oh, you play your card so close to your you know your vest there, Kevin. I don't know how you feel about things. Um, yeah, so yeah, I might a, I might swerve on you. You, you might swerve. Yeah, you're gonna lay down all jokers, and I'll be like, oh, I didn't know. You know, I got played. <laughs> That's not even a hand, but whatever. Um, yeah, let's let's just get into the cast here. Yeah, we'll jump into the cast. We got the big one first. We have Buster Keaton, who plays Woodrow Mulligan. Um, I thought it was funny. They his his name was Mulligan in yeah. this about <laughs> uh, getting another chance and all that. Um, so, I mean, everybody knows who Buster Keaton is. I'm not too well versed in his filmography, as we found out. I think we had a discussion about silent film, uh, thanks to loyal listener Nick earlier on this season or last season. Um, but everybody knows who Buster Keaton is. He was one of the big three. Um, Few uh, few interesting things I never knew was his family. He came from his parents were traveling vaudeville actors, mm-hmm. and they were uh, family friends with Harry Houdini. And I never knew that the nickname Buster, his stage name, was given to him by Houdini after he fell down a set of stairs, and uh, they referred to his fall as a Buster. 
yeah. they just started calling him Buster. I never knew that. Yeah, and so there's a couple varying accounts of his his childhood. Like you, you, he did travel with his family; they were you know, vaudeville performers, and uh, he they would do an act where he would get like thrown out into the audience, and he would come back up on stage. And <sighs> they found out he found out that he got a bigger reaction if he acted like he didn't react to it. Cause if he was having fun with it, the audience didn't care. But if it was the notion of like, he was being thrown like against his will or his face didn't show any reaction, it played much better. So that there, there's this whole thing about that. They talk about how Buster Keaton has like the stone face, which I it's, it's deserved in the sense that he was able to sell gags, but he's a very expressive actor. So I think that, yeah. um, so the yeah. Steve Harvey routine, was that are you, Steve Harvey? Like he would get thrown around? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> no, just uh, the serious a face. face okay. will, yeah, the serious I, face. I thought there was something I didn't know. Things are happening around you. <laughs> no. I didn't know if there was I, a scene like he would get thrown around, like in the barbershop movies. Like, you know, was, was that him in there? No, probably not. I, I got that wrong. But like just getting him thrown from Family Feud. Like I didn't know that was a thing. No, uh, but no, uh, that's funny. Straight face. Straight face. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. So first and only time I'll reference uh, <laughs> Steve Harvey. <laughs> <on> strange <laughs> um, So it was. There's, there's like I, I watched this one. Uh, there's a long form documentary on PBS about silent film actors, and and that one went into really depth with, with Keaton about how like it, they they talked about his his childhood being full of abuse and how he was able to kind of like shut off the pain and perform. But if you look at his Wikipedia page, it's all about like, no, no, he was part of the act and they actually sewn in uh, like a luggage handle on the back of his like um, jacket. So it was easier to throw him around. I'm like, I, I don't know the like, I feel like the truth is probably a little closer to, you know, throwing the kid got big laughs. So we're going to throw the kid no matter what. And he probably well, it's took like some that YouTube uh, uh, fiasco that <laughs> oh, was going on with, with the, the, the family, family that yeah. was pranking their kids. And ended up, didn't they get their kids taken away from them? They're back because at it of again. child abuse. Oh, you they're know, back. Yeah, okay. they're doing. They're they're they've they've done like. There's a whole thing where they're back putting out videos again. So clearly, they learned their lesson. But I mean, I would still also equate that. I think that what was going on with the Keaton household, maybe it was the same thing. But I feel like there was this whole level of embarrassment and forced uh, confrontation that, that that family would do for those YouTube videos that was like cringingly horrible. Um, yeah, but they got reactions out of it, yeah. so they were like, "Ah, perfect," you yeah. know. And and maybe I'm not saying it was that bad with <laughs> Keaton, but given his uh, it, later in life, the amount of issues he had and everything, I would, I, I I guess I would tend to lean more towards <laughs> an abusive childhood. Yeah, and so he, but then as he um, got into films and everything, he had a real real sense, obviously, of timing. And also some of the stunts he would pull, you go back and watch some of the things that he would do. It is, it is oh, terrifying, insane. you know, like he, he's really famous for the front of the house falling forward as he is perfectly positioned where the second story window, like as the frame of the house falls, he, you know, he's standing still and the second floor window goes past him. Like in the sense that the whole floor, like or the front falls and he's okay. Like that's a very yeah. famous thing from him. Uh, yeah. Go check yeah. out on YouTube. If you haven't seen any of these films or anything, there is a compilation yeah. of just the craziest silent film stunts. Yeah. Uh, it's it's I think like five to eight minutes maybe. Uh go check that out if you haven't seen it, because some of the stuff is it's it's insane. Like because well, you talk <laughs> about like as I've as I've discussed uh, previously mm -hmm. on episodes, I'm a big fan of stunt work and everything, and I, I love hearing it just stories about the stuntmen and what they go through and 
that era being a blind spot of mine, it was it was kind of a revelation to see what these guys were doing <laughs> yeah. with really zero help. Yeah, and so um, as I was going to mention that your love of like you know like highly choreographed action, this is the same thing, but no OSHA around to make sure things would you know go okay. Uh, yeah. So he made a film called Sherlock Jr., which was one of his big hits, and I always attributed what happened in um, the story to the the general, which I had seen, and it's a, it's a it's a it's a good movie. Uh, it's where he plays um, uh, was he's a Confederate, but he deals with like trains and, and everything. And it's really it's a, it's a comedy, but there's actually more going on. And it's a wonderful little film. But in Sherlock Jr., there was a stunt that he was dealing with a water downspout. Like, well, those, those things, those big towers you see that would be near railroad tracks that would pour the water in. Like you've seen them yeah. in every every Western ever. Right. Because the guys grab it to get away from yeah. like everybody. Something happened where the water came out and it wasn't supposed to. It hit him and drove his head down onto um, the railroad um, uh, track, right? And so he got up and he got he had like this wicked headache. And they stopped filming that day, but then they went back and finished the rest of the film. Like 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 you know we were on schedule. We got to do this. Years later, he was at a doctor getting an X ray, and the doctor's like, "Hey, when did you break your neck?" And he's like, I, "He's like what?" So. Oh. He broke his neck during the filming of Sherlock Jr., took a half day off, finished that movie, went on with the rest of his career. Like, and it's just, it's, it's amazing. You know, like that, it's just the fact that, you know, one broken neck and two kept on producing, you know, and it just, it, it is, it is unreal what he was doing. And even though this episode and we'll get into, and this was actually like, like the last couple years of his life, like he still had some pretty good physical timing. Like it was amazing. And he actually talked about, he would do this gag where he would put one leg up in the air, like he was resting it. And then he would bring his other leg up to look like he's sitting on a chair. That's not there. And then immediately collapse. And it's like, everyone loved it. And someone asked him how he did it. He was like, just, you know, you just got to know that you're going to take the hit. And it's like, that's yeah. like crazy. You know, like that. Uh, I respect it. I Buster Keaton, like Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, uh, Harold Lloyd, like these guys all were able to, do comedy in a time where it, you had to be very emotive, but they also had a good comedic sense that when you went to like the talkie films, they still had it, you know, like they knew yeah. comedy regardless well, of his physical or whatever. Well, Keaton, I guess did not make the transition as smoothly. Uh, his, his first film did not do very well. And the studio started taking, because he was writing, directing, and starring in yeah. a lot of his silent films and everything. So after his first failure at the box office, they started stripping him of some of his, uh, uh, some of his. Um, I don't know what you want to call it. Well, I mean, they, they, that that's fair, but I'm just saying there's there was um, actors and people of that time that couldn't make the transition because either um, they didn't like English was not their first language, or uh, there was actors that had speech impediments, or they they couldn't deliver lines. Like he had, he could still, you know, like he, he didn't have that problem. It was a matter of maybe wrong place, wrong time. And then they also kept partnering up with a couple other comedians trying because of the studio system and some of that just didn't work, you know? So I think, I think they were trying to like, you know, like he, he is his own thing and they were trying to put him in projects that didn't benefit him best. Yeah. Well, they, they just started slowly taking away his creative control and, um, he went through a lot of hardships later on in his life, dealt with alcoholism. And I, I didn't really know the, the more darker side of his life and everything. And, uh, I, I mean, I guess that's pretty common with comedians. So, yeah. And, and just, I mean, it's just 
the transition from one age to the next, right? Like the studios, they made their money and then they moved on to something else and they feel like they could toss them aside, you know? And, um, and it's, again, this is one of the situations you mentioned with the, the director coming out of retirement to direct them. And it's like, you could tell that Matheson had a soft spot for, for Keaton, you know, Sterling did too. Like there, there was something here that at least as much as however we land on this episode at the end, you could at least appreciate that they were trying to give him a showcase to show what he did best. And I, I, I do respect that. So I, it was fun. It, I just, I did not know there was an episode of Twilight Zone with Buster Keaton and this thing has problems, but I, I adore him. Yeah. Um, I just, uh, I was reading a few places that around this time and earlier on the fifties and everything, uh, silent films were playing on TV a lot. So there was already a rising interest in Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, and people like that. So getting him onto the Twilight Zone was something that got a lot of eyes on the show as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so there you go. Buster Keaton, check them out. Uh, and, and, and if you guys, you know, so there's some really fun silent films out there. Like I, 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 I know you said that you're not terribly familiar with everything, but have you seen like Modern Times with uh, Chaplin? No, I, I honestly, I haven't seen a lot of that. The only real silent stuff I've seen is like genre stuff like yeah. Nosferatu, Metropolis. Um, uh, I'm trying to think what else. I know I got a few more on my wall behind me, but more of the horror and sci-fi stuff. Okay. I just, I mean, if you, if you ever get the chance, the gold rush, which I mean, this is Chaplin, but the gold rush is wonderful. Modern times is half sound, half silent. It was like his last little tramp film. That's the really famous one with him going through the gear work with like the yeah. wrenches and everything. There's, there's some good, good sight gags and good, legitimately good comedy still in a lot of this. And we mentioned when, when uh, uh, listener Nick was talking about the pacing of episodes, um, Buster Keaton was the one to kind of take the piss out of everybody where he would get in the car uh, and like, he'd leave the house, get in the car and drive across the street, get out of the car and walk into a house <laughs> to the next scene to kind of just like screw with everybody about the transition from story point to story point to show that making fun of the idea that people are like, well, people won't understand that the next scene started. Like he, <laughs> he understood how films worked. You know, so yeah, um, so there, there, yeah, I like there. There's some, there's some good to be had there. Yep. So that that is the one and only time we'll talk about Buster Keaton on the show. So I figured we had yeah. to dive somewhat into his life and career. Um, so next up, we have Stanley Adams, who plays Rollo, who is best known for his role in Breakfast at Tiffany's. He also had a possibly reoccurring role in Star Trek. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if you can speak to that. I mean, he was in the trouble with troubles episode and that, that episode had been, uh, they ended up using footage from that in a deep space nine episode, I think. So it was like, he's kind of showed up later well past his death. Like it was just kind of huh. there. So it's a famous episode and he was in it. Huh. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, uh, I didn't do a big, I'll be honest, this guy, like as this episode, I had to watch twice and I was just like, I do not want to deal with this guy again. And I feel bad for saying that, <laughs> Uh, cause I really thought he was somebody else. I really thought maybe for a second, I thought he might've been, um, like, uh, st- st- not Stan Laurel, but, uh, Hardy. I thought I was like, uh, for a second, I was like, did they bring another silent film actor in here? But no, they didn't, you know? So yeah, he kind of looked like him a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's also in one other twilight zone episode coming up in the future. Sorry, Paul. And uh, yeah, he had a lot of credits to his name. He looked really familiar. Maybe it was just, he looked like a few other actors. So I was just placing him 
uh, incorrectly as somebody else. So uh, two notes about him. One, he was on, on Requiem for Heavyweight, so that, that kind yep. of, there's connection there. And then his his the way his life ended is very tragic, but I just want to read the way it's written on Wikipedia. Someone's an asshole, and I don't know who it is, but I'll, <laughs> I'll read how this is stated. Adams died in 1977 as a result of a self-inflicted gunshot wound at the age of 62. His suicide has been attributed 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 to severe depression as a result of a back injury sustained earlier in the decade. And here it goes. Apart from the obvious pain, it would have almost certainly have limited his employment opportunities. Really? Yeah. Really, Wikipedia? Really person that was like, oh, this guy suffered a back injury at age 52. Do you think it would have limited his career opportunities as an actor? Who knows? Maybe. Like why? Whatever. I was like, why is that sentence on Wikipedia? But yeah, his yeah, life didn't. That's go on well. his IMDb biography too. That's all <laughs> over the place, man. It would have most certainly have limited his employment opportunities. You know, also would have limited his employment opportunities. A self-inflicted gunshot wound. But why? <laughs> why is that being? You know what? It just doesn't. Yeah, I, no, whatever. that's that's pretty bad. Yeah. So anyway, sorry. I just that was stuck in my craw, and I had to mention it. Yeah, I. I love uh, whoever wrote this whole bio because it starts out with stocky character actors, actor Stanley Adams had a relatively minor career in motion pictures. That is the first part of his biography. Stocky. Could you imagine this kept trying to fit different ways of saying like heavy set, husky, like everything, you know, like I just, but just like a relatively minor career in motion <laughs> pictures. Yeah. All right. Great. Thanks. <laughs> He did more than uh, he has two hundred and eight credits. That's that's two hundred eight more credits than I have. So whatever. Exactly. You know. <laughs> like, Jesus. All right. Yeah. So, uh, not big on his character in here, but give him, <laughs> now give him some credit. Yeah. Right. So uh, yeah. yeah. So next up, we have James uh, James Flavin, who plays the nineteen sixty two police officer. Uh, this dude, he was in Passage for Trumpet, but it was a relatively minor role in that episode <laughs> he was the truck driver that hit jack klugman so you see him for like a second driving the truck that, yeah. that hits him yeah um but yeah he's got like 509 credits <laughs> i didn't dig too deep uh he was he was in one episode of johnny midnight and he was in king kong that's the two things i wrote down <laughs> yeah well, you gotta write down king kong well that's yeah amazing. but it's like it's funny that you're like he had all these credits and it's like literally passage for trumpet uh, King Kong and then I wrote Johnny Midnight like that like I we could have <laughs> held our notes up together they would have been perfect like for this guy yeah <laughs> um, next up we have Gil Lamb who plays Officer Flanagan he uh, this was his only Twilight Zone episode the only other thing I wrote down he was in this movie called Day of the Animals I think I have spoken about no, this. that's all I have written down as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a nice bear fight with Leslie Nielsen in that. That's movie, the, so. the 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 uh, yep. spiritual sequel to Grizzly, right? I, a, I guess. <laughs> no, no. I think it's also directed by William Girdler. I think that's uh, everyone talks about that kind of being the the pseudo sequel to Grizzly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Then. So I want to watch this movie. That that's really because yeah. I've well, watched Grizzly recently and it's amazing. Any any um, well, you know, I'm not giving away the ending of that movie. Watch Grizzly. It has the best ending to a film ever. So yeah. <laughs> I have uh, Day of the Animals if you ever want to. Nice. The, watch maybe that, so. maybe we should watch it for the show. Maybe not. But I still I, I want to do a double feature. <laughs> yes. I, it's been so long since I've watched Grizzly. Yeah, that'd be great. Sweet. All right, so we'll jump into uh, Jesse White here. Plays the repair man. He was in one other episode of The Twilight Zone. Yeah, and got, one episode of Y and I. Yes. Uh, and and got, then I wrote down the typecast. Bad seed. He got typecast big time. Did you see what else he did? 
No. From so so he was repairman in this episode, and from 1967 to 1988, he was the Maytag repairman. Oh man! <laughs> Don't touch his tools, though. Don't touch the tools. Uh, but yeah, like that's like uh, I thought that was funny. I'm just like that guy looks familiar. Like repairing things. Oh, that's why. <laughs> so Hawaiian I funny story. I just posted on the Facebook uh, before we came on air tonight. I, there was a video on YouTube of the opening credits for Hawaiian Eye. And it said now streaming on Warner Archive. So I was like, oh sweet. I'm gonna have to sign up for that. Posted it. I went back and clicked it. Apparently Warner Archive streaming does not exist anymore. They merged with Filmstruck, which I do have a uh, uh, account with, but there's no TV on there. <laughs> So Hawaiian Eye is not there anymore. Oh, so you, if you, you click that link and you're going to go check out some Hawaiian Eye because we always talk about it, it is not there. And I'm back to the drawing board. Uh, sounds like again. sounds like you need a time helmet to go back to watch it. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, apparently, it, I just it, there's there's box sets for like like bootleg box sets for like fifty dollars on eBay. But I'm so terrified that the show is going to be terrible, <laughs> terrible that I don't want to drop 40, 50 bucks on it. I want to watch a few episodes first. What if we did like like a fundraiser through the show, and like like you know Kevin needs Hawaiian Eye, and if you guys pledge like five bucks each, and we'll buy it, and then I don't know, we'll 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 like you know volunteer to do something if people people all get the funds together to get you Hawaiian Eye. I think that'd be great. Do I have to start a second show where I'm going through Hawaiian Eye by myself? By yourself? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that, that would be uh, be great. Oh man. One day I'm going to find it. Yes. I'm going to find it. I promise you guys. Next up, we have Harry Fleer, who plays a 1962 policeman, number two. Um, I wrote him down because he was also a guard in The Obsolete Man yep. from last season. That's all I got. Yep. Now I got two more. Uh, you can chime in if you got anything else for him. Warren Parker, who plays the clothes store manager, was in one episode of Hawaiian Eye. And Milton Parsons plays Professor Gilbert. Who was in two other episodes of the Twilight Zone? Yeah, uh, Parson was in an episode of Night Gallery. Whatever. I didn't oh, pick up. I didn't. I, I didn't realize Parker was in um, uh, Johnny Midnight, or um, you said Johnny Midnight, right? Um, or Hawaiian Eye. One of the two. I didn't realize he's yeah, in one Hawaiian of the shows. Eye. Hawaiian Eye. Here I am, just want to bring up Johnny Midnight, just because. Uh, and then what else do I have here? Um, Arthur Tovey is the sidewalk onlooker? Question mark. Um, he was in Back to the Future. Uh, and he was also, which is, I think is appropriate. Um, and this is his third of five Twilight Zone appearances because he was also in Death's Head Revisited, The Silence and Escape Clause. And I could not tell you who this guy is in any of those episodes, but I like that he was in Back to the Future because it feels like very appropriate. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I was really hoping uh, somebody was going to start running at 88 miles an hour during this episode. <laughs> <laughs> just disappear in the line of fire. Yeah, like the the, the roller skating kid. Oh, oh no, yeah. we're ruining the episode. Uh, but uh, yeah, so um, yeah, we could do the Serling thing. This this is this episode is is unlike any other one that we've seen, and it's going to be like unlike any other one that we will see in the future. You know, so this was just an odd one. Um, Serling's intro is very short and there's a reason for that. Uh, I guess we'll do that and we'll just kind of talk about the episode. It's, it's, it's a weird one to get into. He smiles a lot during it too. It kind of <laughs> creeped me out. Mr. Mulligan, a rather dour critic of his times, is shortly to discover the import of that old phrase, 
out of the frying pan into the fire, said fire burning brightly at all times in the twilight zone. Dun. So, yeah. Um, oh, did I make it back? I refilled my drink. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I could have I could have played the one from, uh, what was the one that, from uh, It's a Good Life, and then you could have went off and had a sandwich and come back, and it had been fine. <laughs> Um, so yeah, the, so this, this, um, this episode, this is not a spoiler. Uh, it plays out for the majority of it as a silent film. Um, and, uh, I was not expecting that like, and that's the, and so my initial su- surprise with it is, is a good reaction. Um, but then it goes on. Um, so we have, we meet, we meet, um, Mr. Mulligan, Woodrow Mulligan as he's just walking along and, you know, in 1890, um, yeah, just, he's he's in New York. It's 1890 New York. Um, yeah. You find out because he's reading the newspaper. Um, but that that comes into play later on. Yeah. So he's kind of he's frustrated with all the noise of 1890 and how expensive steaks are. They're like five cents or whatever. Like just and then he's angry that the U.S. is operating at a surplus. Like, you know, all these all these, you know, first world problems from 1890. And as he's like, you know, being upset about this, it's showing title cards and which, you know, again, or not title cards. What do you call them? Um, Interstitials. That's not even the right word either, but that's not. But they're like, you know, like with every silent film, you have a moment of dialogue that you can't hear and then you see it show up on the screen. And so you find out that like, you know, he's intertitle intertitle. That's it. Um, Did you know that used to be in an Academy Award um, category? Until no, like yeah, best titles like they, whoever made the best title cards. There was actually an award for that at the time. Um, oh well, that that explains why there's always like all the uh, uh, elaborate designs going around mm-hmm. like the top and stuff. So that, that makes sense. Yeah, n- not never an award for stunt people, but putting words on a piece of paper or a, you know background. There's an award for that. Well, uh, if there was an award for breaking your neck and finishing a film shoot, <laughs> Buster Keaton would have definitely won that. So, so yeah, you learn like you know he's just kind of angry with his, his place and time, and there's a bit where um, he looks down at some pigs and some chickens, and, and as dumb as a joke as it is, I like that he looks at them, and then the next cart intercard you see says oink oink cluck cluck. It's such a dumb joke, but I liked it. You know, yeah. Uh, there, there's a few gags in this yeah. that actually work for me. <laughs> Uh, like I said, there's definitely problems with this episode, but some of the stuff actually worked and stuff like that was, it was charming. It was fun. Well, and then like, what was it? The velocipede that's the, I never thought we'd talk about a velocipede again outside of, you know, <laughs> stop at Willoughby, you know, almost yeah. runs him over cause it's going over eight miles an hour. And I like that there's that bit where he, he gets angry and it just shows a car that says censored. Like there was some good, yeah. there was some, there was some, like I said, there were some pretty funny b- bits in the episode. Yeah. So he ends up uh, running across the street um, and well, the the bike almost hits him and he falls into a trough with a bunch of pigs around and everything. Yeah. And that's when Happy Serling pops up <laughs> and does his very quick nar- narration. Yeah, I don't know. He had, he had a he looked giddy during that <laughs> intro. Yeah. Um, and, and so um Maybe maybe I should get into why this episode. Uh, I mean, aside from the fact that it's Buster Keaton and you had a director that did silent films and you brought in a guy, you had Bill Lava come into the music. Um, there, oh, by the way, I should mention that during him falling into the trough, this is where his pants got wet, and he so he has to remove them eventually. And we'll get to that whole thing later. Um, this was not intended to be 
a silent film episode. Like uh, the whole thing was supposed to be with sound and it was supposed to be like the comedy was supposed to be there, but there was no intertitle cards. There were no, there was no any of that. It was supposed to be Buster Keaton, like acting and talking the entire time. And when, after watching this episode, realizing this, it's like, well, then what happened? And so Serling's bit was, was shot with sound before they made the decision to turn it into a silent film. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. That, 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 does, that may not help help you or, or hurt your, your, your opinion of the episode, but him being inserted in in the middle of all the silence is odd, but they already shot his bit, and that's why it's kind of truncated and really fast there. Yeah. Well, it's, I think it would have been more fun if they just gave uh, Serling an inner title card. <laughs> yeah, I know. It would have been like, you know, him staying there and then the car will cut to smoke cigarette and it cuts to him talking. And then, you know, I, I don't know how you would do it, but it would be it would have been fun to actually have him introduce an episode, but not really. You know, like I would have I would have loved that. But, you know, they as, as it was, they already had already shot it and they used what they did and they purposely removed frames by the way, so I think you'd appreciate yeah. that. Well, I, I, I heard... Well, I, I heard. I read that... <laughs> I read that the episode really wasn't flowing too well, that the action was a little bit too slow in the beginning and everything, so they were trying to figure out what to do with it, and somebody came up, I think the editor came up with the idea of um, removing the frames and just turning it into a silent film, just yeah. to speed things up. Um, and then that ended up taking some time off the episode. So they had to rewrite some stuff and there's a whole, we'll get to that when we yeah. get to it. There were a lot of changes that were made to this episode in post-production. Yeah. But I just mentioned it because like the first time I watched it and I'm like, let's oh, Buster Keaton. That makes sense that they're kind of, you know, leaning into the silent film thing. Yeah. And it was, and, yeah. it was a fun way to show, uh, the time period as well, doing yeah. the style of that time rather than just having another almost Western setting. Yeah, so he um, goes to uh, a cellar, and there's there's a great little gag of him trying to open the door, and then not not realizing the door was closed, and he walks into it, um, like that's like vintage Keaton, like putting his you know face on the line. Um, but you find out that he's a custodian in this basement of the, the scientists, and then before they come in, he's like doing this gag with um, taking his pants out and running them through the ringer. Uh, he. Um, finds a harmonica that he goes to blow in and it shows a intertidal card of a broken note, which is kind of, kind of funny. Um, it, 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 you know what it is. Right. And then, then I like that he pulls the newspaper out and, and then I'm like, I was watching it. I'm like, he better put that through the ringer. And he, he rings, he rings that out too. And it's yeah. like, it, again, it's a little old fashioned, but I, I was tickled by that. Um, and then he goes to start his day cleaning up this like basement with no pants on. Um, and yeah. And the two scientists come in and they're talking about how they're celebrating this great achievement that they've created this time helmet. And then they go off to go drink champagne or whatever it is that they decide to do. And he's like curious about it. And yeah, well, yeah. they explain that pretty much the time helmet, you put it on, you can pick any year to go to and you can only travel there with the helmet for 30 minutes mm -hmm. before you have to return. Yeah. So he decides to put this helmet on, which is like, I, I hate the time helmet look. I hate it so much. Like, cause like it, it's, it's funny, but it's like, it's, it's funny on purpose. So that to me makes it less funny. If that makes sense. Like, cause you have, I, I get, I get where you're coming from, but there were legitimate moments, um, with the roller skating kid that we're about to get to and him running with no pants just in a modern setting. 
And it just looked like it looked like no one knew what was going on with the scene being shot. Yeah. And I thought it was actually kind of funny. That's okay, But like you have this helmet that has like a little spinny barber's pole thing on the front. And then to show that the helmet's working, there's sparklers that they stuck in the edges of this and they would light (laughs) and set off. And it was like it looked like it looked like a bomb as opposed to a helmet. I don't know. But it was like but it is what it is. But it's like you could tell the prop department's like, well, we've got to make it funny as opposed to, you know, what would a time helmet look like? (laughs) So, I mean, I guess my, I guess if someone asked me, Paul, what's the time helmet? helmet? Yeah. Yeah, I'd be like, not that. Like I, it's kind of one of those things where it's like, I may not be able to discern what is and what is not art, but I could definitely say that's not art, you know, and that's not a time helmet. Um, (laughs) but whatever he puts the, the helmet on and, um, you know, it, it suddenly he ends up in, in 1961 and, and, or 62, uh, Harmony, which is Harmony, New York was where, so he ends up in the same thing where he was. Um, and then all of a sudden you just get hit with this wall of sound, which is kind of a nice jarring moment to let you know that you're yeah. in the now. Well, also don't forget when he, he oh, runs yeah. back out into the street after he puts a time helmet on, he ends up getting a hold of a chicken before <laughs> he goes. Yes. So, and that that's actually important later on in the episode. Um, so he ends up in the middle of the street in 1962, holding this chicken with no pants. And, like on. I said, yeah, this I mean, him, wall not the chicken. Sound. The chicken already didn't have pants on, but yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> so, it, like you said, you're hit by this wall of sound. It's just like this overwhelming metropolis that he's in the middle of. Yeah. Um, and then I like that there's this the quick kind of replay of the earlier bits of him looking, seeing, hearing all the noise, seeing the cops. And I forgot about there was a price of a hat in 1890 that was like $4 or something. And then he then then they, they show the price of steak being so expensive because it's on the side of a truck. And then he sees a he sees a a sign in a store a hat for forty five dollars. I'm like, even even now I don't think I'd want to pay forty five dollars for a hat. But that's 1962. Like, how much was that hat? Like, it was ridiculous. Well, it, was, it was probably one of those like really big uh, fancy women's hat that yeah. would come in the like wooden box. I'm sure it was it was like top of the line. <laughs> <laughs> but I also feel like it's a little exaggerated just to show you like how, yeah, how much, but $45 definitely. for a hat, like, you know, no thanks. Um, but, but yeah, there's the, like, I, so he, as he's in the middle of the street, um, this guy driving in his truck that has his hand out happens to grab the helmet, which, you know, whatever. And, um, now, so I he, thought somebody stole it. Well, and then yeah. you cut to him driving away and he's trying to like shake the helmet off yeah. his hand. And it was really confusing. It was, um, so it, he shakes it off of his hand and it bounces across the road and a little kid on roller skate roller skates picks it up puts it on and just starts skating away. So the chase ensues and you have this kid wearing the time helmet with the sparklers on the back roller skating through a busy sidewalk and Buster Keaton with no pants on chasing the kid <laughs> through the sidewalk. And, and yeah. you know as as much as you're complaining about the design of the helmet just the visuals of the scene is enough. It, it was really funny to me. Yeah. And, uh, just, and just also watching with a modern eye, I'm just being like, here's an older man with no pants on chasing a, a child down the street. <laughs> exactly. Like, Cause <laughs> they run past the, uh, poli- the first police officer and, uh, <laughs> he's on the phone. I think he's like, everything's yeah, perfectly. Okay. Yeah, he's yeah. like, every- he's on the phone with his <laughs> captain. He's like, yep, everything's cool here. Everything looks good. And as he's on the phone, these two run past him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, um, yeah, it, it, this chase ensues. And then, um, eventually, 
uh, something happens where they, uh, does the kid he, he hits the he, kid runs yeah. into uh, Rollo. Rollo. Yeah, Rollo. We're yeah. now introduced to Rollo. He runs into him, knocks him over, and uh, the helmet falls off, and the kid skates away. And Buster Keaton's character Mulligan comes running into the to the alley right as Rollo's about to stand up, knocks him over again, and then dives over him to get the helmet. Um, and so this is where the episode just kind of tanks for me. <laughs> like I'm having, I'm having a decent time up until now. And I agree. Like in terms of like, cause in my notes when I, cause I watched this like, you know, a second time and I wrote, uh, enter Rollo. Goddamn Rollo is what I wrote in my notes. So like, yeah, he, I, I don't know if it's much his performance. It's just the way he's written yes. and how quick things happen. Yeah. That make no sense. Like he he uh like Mulligan's trying to explain to him what's going on. He's like, I'm a time traveler, or whatever, uh, or I'm from eighteen ninety, and then he and Rollo's like, What evidence do you have of this? And then he shows him a newspaper and he explains what happened. He's like, I believe you. I'm like, Wow, simpler times, I guess. Um, and so uh, <laughs> you know, he's just trying to explain, like, I'm a I'm a janitor that traveled to the future. That 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 makes sense. Um, but then Rollo believes him immediately. And, and then this is when the episode does kind of come to a screeching halt because they stop at a repair shop to get the helmet fixed because like something's broken on it. And this is, and you could definitely tell after knowing how the episode was put together that this middle section, it just, it drags and there are, there are some funny bits in it, but overall I despise the middle section and it's, it's the part that was inserted later just to, to either pad out the episode or make it all make sense. Yeah. Um, the stuff with the vacuum in here was the only stuff that made this worthwhile <laughs> for me. I, I, I also um, liked his, uh, whatever a mulligan went on and turned on the TV by accident and was listening to the TV. Oh yeah. yeah that, that, that was, that was, fun that was funny. Yeah. Yeah. So um, they go into Jack's fix it shop and he's it tells him he can fix anything and he takes a look at the time helmet and he's like, all right, I'll have it done Thursday at two o'clock and they start to walk out and they, they do a double take together and come back and they're like, no, you got to fix this now. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, that was a very so, like three stooges double take. I appreciated that again, small silent comedy bits here and there that were okay. Yeah. Um, so they explain everything to the shop owner, shop owner. Just, he gives no reaction to the whole situation. And you find out that Rolo is an electronic scientist and they're arguing about how to fix the helmet and everything. And that's when you get the TV bit. He turns it on and he thinks the character on the TV is actually talking to him. Yeah. And I forget exactly what the character says, but like he doesn't have all his buttons or whatever. He says, yeah, he, and, he tells yeah. him he's like that guy over there. He doesn't have all of his buttons. So, <laughs> so there's a bit though, like, cause as the, the character on the TV, he's talking to a woman and the woman, I don't know if she, I can't remember if she says anything, but there's a bit whenever Buster Keaton turns to talk to Rollo, the woman on the TV looks the direction of Buster Keaton. And it's almost this weird moment of like, does she see him? Like, I know that's not true, but it's another like qu quick moment of like, what is going on? And, and um, Keaton's talking to, to Rollo, I should say Mulligan's talking to Rollo. And he's like, hey, the feller in the window is saying that this guy doesn't have all his buttons. <laughs> like, and I, I, I liked Keaton's delivery of the line. He's like, what guy? He's like, you know, the guy in the window over there. Like. <laughs> I, I i appreciated that yeah so rollo explains tries to explain to him what a tv is and then just gives up yeah and it goes back to argue with the shop owner Don't but that's when you get the vacuum bit where <laughs> where uh keaton accidentally turns a vacuum on and then uh the bag fills up behind it 
and he starts stomping on it to make it go away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I like that. And that comes back because a few minutes later, he goes to sit down while they're working on the helmet and he sits down on a chair and puts his hat up on what he thinks is like a coat rack or something, but it's actually the top of another vacuum. <laughs> it turns it on and the, <laughs> the bag fills up underneath him. <laughs> yeah. And he freaks out. That's what causes him to leave the, the building temporarily. Uh, yeah. And there's yeah. a whole nother thing. There's a sarcophagus in there, like a Egyptian sarcophagus that he gets stuck in at one point. And, uh, but yeah, he ends up, he leaves and he goes to this clothing store but realizes he has no money to pay for pants. Yeah, uh, but th- there's the bit where Rollo's talking to the Maytag repairman, and the guy, you know, don't touch my tools, not the tools, but there's like a quick um, one, two, three of Rollo grabbing a tool, and then the guy's like, don't touch it, and he grabs another tool, and he's like, don't touch it, and then Rollo brings out something out of his like jacket to start t- like pointing out things, and the guy's like, don't touch my tools. He's like, this is mine. And again, it's not, it's not the best joke, but I like the whole, that quick... I don't know that that forties like kind of joke 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 type of thing. I was okay with, but something about the whole bit was just frustrating. Um, I I don't know. I like that he pulled out a he pulled out a wrench out of his jacket pocket and was like, "No, this one's my tool. You can't you can't tell me I can't touch this one." Um, for for what it's worth, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. yeah. So he goes back to find or uh, he realizes that Rollo realizes that Mulligan is not there anymore. So he goes out to find him. And as he goes into the alleyway that they started in, he sees that uh, Mulligan is running away from another police officer. So there's another gag. Uh, (laughs) This one didn't really work for me. I like this one. I thought this one was great. (laughs) Uh, Where Mulligan's walking behind Rollo as the police officer goes running by. So he doesn't see them supposedly because it's like he's like right behind Rollo. And then as they go down the street, they immediately switch places. So when the cop comes back, he sees the back of Rollo and Buster Keaton's in front of him walking. I thought that was kind of kind of funny. Your mileage. Yeah, well, the the ending of it. So as he's walking in front of him, they pass that clothing store again. And Rollo just takes a pair of pants and hikes Buster Keaton up and just puts the pants right on him. <laughs> but it was <laughs> like, like that, all in one movement. I like that. Oh, it was yeah, all, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. That had to have taken some rehearsing. Like, it was pretty impressive that they got that in one motion. Yeah. Uh, so it was worth it. I, w- I wasn't really big on the the walking behind and in front of him, but the whole pants thing was amazing. Well, then, so, the, then the shop owner this, comes out and was like, yeah. you know, where's my money? And then Keaton just puts his hand in the pocket and pulls out, like, money, which is like, it's such a, it's such a cheat, but it's great where he's like, oh, well, all right then. And Rollo counts out the right amount of change and gives it to the guy, and then Keaton just, they just keep moving. I just... It, it's stupid, but I liked it. Yeah. So they get back there and the helmet's fixed. And at this point, Rollo starts getting really interested in what it's like in the 19, or 1890s. He says he's an expert on the time and he's excited that there. The, the one thing he cites is he's excited there's no income tax. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the only fact that he states about that time period. So, um, so you find out that like you, you basically the helmet gets fixed and there's only a few minutes left, but Rollo, you, you, he tips his hand and was like, no, I'm going back there. I, I want to go back. I am basically, he's like, I've studied the times I've, you know, he, he's like that guy now that wants to be like the eighties were the best. I have to go back to the eighties. Like, you know, I could, I could rule like a King back then type of thing, you know, like that nostalgia for a time that you never were and you don't realize what you might be getting yourself into. Yeah. Yeah, and he he's asking him 
throughout this episode, like what kind of jobs are there for a scientist back then? Like, is there a place to work all that? So he's, he's kind of tipping his hand and he eventually, as soon as uh, Mulligan shows him how the helmet works, he throws it on his own <laughs> head and he's like, I'm going back. So he runs outside and um, that's when I brought up the chicken in the beginning. Yes. Uh, Mulligan brings up, he's like, hey, we can go back together. I brought a chicken here uh, to 1962 just by touching it. So if I hold on to you, we can both go back together. And he's like, nope, man, he takes off. As soon as they go back out into the alley, the cop comes back and is chasing them. And um, he ends up, I, I can't remember exactly what happens. He ends up like running into him or something and they... Oh, no, they, he runs back to the original spot in the middle of the, the street, street, which Rollo would not have known that's where that was going to happen. But whatever, you know, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he ends up jumping over the back of a truck and tackling him and they both go back to 1890 at the same time. Together. Yeah. And then um, that's whenever the, the episode shifts back to silent film because it's back 1890. And then you find out like it goes to like, what was it? Um. Oh, uh, like a month later or some sometime later. Yeah, it was like a week later. A week later. Everything's yeah. kind of, I guess, back to normal, quote unquote. But I like the fact when they go back to 1890, they landed on top of the original police officer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was a good little touch on that. Because as soon as he gets up, he starts chasing Buster Keaton again down the street. <laughs> yeah. Um, it just it, he didn't miss a beat. They just appeared back on top of him, and he's like, "I'm gonna get you." <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. That is funny. Uh, so then, like the the, the actual like denouement of the episode, over to say is like you find out like you know Rollo is just like so Mulligan's like you're working in like the basement doing the sweeping, happy as can be, content. You know, realizes that you know life is like better. The life that he had isn't as bad as he thought it was, and he's glad he's back in 1890 and not 1962. But Rollo is just miserable. He's just miserable. Like something, I have a line here. Uh, what was it? Um, There's no frozen TV dinners, no bikinis. <laughs> so he's <just> upset. <laughs> and there's no cathode ray tubes or whatever else he's talking about. But he's just, it's not, it's not cracked up to what he thought it was going to be. You know, so then um, as he's miserable, uh, Mulligan looks over and sees the time helmet and, you know, resets it and puts it on Mulligan's head, not Mulligan, he puts it on Rollo's head. It sends him back to the future, you know, and that's uh, that's your episode. I just I wanted to fit, fit in a back to the future reference. Um, Fair enough. Yeah. And that's it. And then you have um, the I don't know if you noticed or not as like the, the music because the piano picks up right back up again when they go back in time that as Sterling's giving his like narration at the end, the piano shifts into uh, the, the Marius constant like twilight zone music at the very end. Like it, it doesn't, it, 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 it's funny how it plays that old timey version of the twilight zone music as Sterling's yeah, it's giving like his a outro. piano version of yeah. it. It's, so I thought that was fun. kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. That's your episode. There you go. Like I, I, there, there's enough here that I like, but as well as things that like, it was painful watching it a second time because the momentum just falls apart in that middle section of the episode. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. I, you actually warned me last week after we got off the air that, uh, I probably wasn't going to like this one. And I, I went into it expecting the worst and I was actually pleasantly surprised. Like I was tipping my hand at the beginning, <laughs> making you think that I hated this, but I actually had a good time oh, with it. That's the biggest twist of all. <laughs> yeah, no, I actually, I was legitimately, uh, laughing during parts of this episode. I, just, I think yeah. the biggest issue is the fact that they strayed too far away from uh, Matheson's 
original teleplay that he wrote. Because yeah. there's just something that got lost with the rewrites and the, all the stuff that's in the uh, Jack's Fix-It shop. Mm-hmm. That just, it the episode tanks. There's some logistical stuff with Rollo. Like, the fact that he believes him so fast, but... Um, and, and just the time helmet in general. There's just some stuff that <laughs> doesn't really make sense. How they fixed it, how they even... I don't, Whatever. But if they would have kept up the speed and the pace from the beginning of the episode, this episode would have been great. But it just something just died. Well, that, that's just it. Like, so Matheson wrote this as, as a chase scene pretty much the moment... Uh, Mulligan ended up in the sixties. Like he, it was going to be a constant chase to get the helmet back until the end. And he wasn't happy with what, what they did. Cause he was writing it much more. He was writing it much more towards the, the physical sensibilities of Keaton and not that Keaton, not that he can't tell a joke or not that he can't sell like dialogue. Cause he was certainly capable of doing it, yeah. but it felt like Matheson was writing this more like the celebration of what Keaton was capable of doing, even, even in this later age and even with his infirmaries and, you know, un- unknown broken neck until later in life, like he was booking it at times. Like there was like, t- it's like he's running faster down the street than, than I ever will, you know? And I, and I'm, I've not subjugated my body to the same physical stresses that he has. And there was a bit too, at the, at, towards the end, whenever he's faking out the one cop by running down the one alley to the right. And then he r- just runs runs like across like the field of view it's like it's not a very long run but he like he's committed you know and it's like i i liked that kind of like live cartoon stuff going on the entire time and i think that's what matheson was going for and then for whatever reason they shot they they shot all a lot of other stuff too involving chasing the kid uh with the helmet and they just felt that it didn't work so i I respect that they made the really bold stylistic choice to go back and drop frames and add inter intercards or intertitles. Like that's like, you know, it's one of those things where you look at what you got and you're like, well, he's a silent film actor. It's 1890. Why not do it? And that must've been like that light bulb that went off in the room of like, can we? So as much as this episode, I don't feel is very successful. I respect the 11th hour, um, repair job to try to bring it into something resembling, you know, I, I don't know. I just, it, it's, it's a bold move, especially back then for like you shoot film, you develop film. And that's what you have. You don't have the same technology today to go shoot something digitally and manipulate it. However you want, like this was a commitment to fix it. So yeah. I respect that. Yeah. I just, I feel like that center part was closer to the comedy episodes that we've gotten on the other twilight yeah. zone comedy one so it just it didn't feel like it fit with the rest of the episode i agree and that's why i just watching it i just felt like oh no here goes it's a comedy episode which i know i'm not saying that you don't like comedy i know you do it's just that we we've not had a lot of good evidence that comedy works well in this iteration of the twilight zone you know yeah and i think this is one of the better comedic episodes i don't know if that says (laughs) Uh, anything good about the other ones at all, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if this, uh, that helps my opinion on this one anymore <laughs> saying that, but I mean, it's better uh, than the whole truth. Right. So that there's that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So no, I, I just, I think it's a good time and it's, it's fun to watch this. And like you said, being a love letter to silent film era and all that, you can tell that there is heart behind it. So it's hard to totally rip this episode apart and it's it's cool to see all these people who worked back in that era working again 
Yeah. So and that, like coming yeah. out of retirement, one of Buster Keaton's last roles, you know, it's, it's so you sit back and you take in all that stuff, knowing the history of the episode and it kind of changes your opinion of what you watched. And, and not even just one of his last roles, but he's still performing at a high level. You know, like you can't. Yeah, like, you exactly. Know. It's not like he sacrificed. It's not like they sacrificed anything to just get him back on screen. Yeah, it's like, I did you see that um, the Tim Burton Dark Shadows with uh, Johnny Depp and all that? I don't know if you no, saw it or not. No, I haven't. It's it's okay. But you have Christopher Lee in there for a moment and he's sitting at a table and he does not do much. You know, it's yeah, like, or it's it's like that Rocky Horror uh, remake they did on Fox a few years ago, and they had Tim Curry uh, as yeah. like the doctor. Yeah, that well, does the like the or the psychiatrist that they cut in and everything, and it was just yeah, it was you know it was one of those things where it's like yeah, I'm, I'm glad you guys put him in there, but it just it didn't really work. You know, I'd, well, I'd rather not see it yeah i don't i don't that, know that was that tough sounds, because it sounds uh, insensitive well but. no no because curry he had a stroke and didn't tell anybody like he kind of he kept that like pretty much away from everybody so it's yeah. it's it's weird you knew it but you hadn't seen him since and it's like that's a hard thing to think about not that not that he wasn't game for it and whatever and that's great but it's like no it, yeah. it's it's awesome that they gave him the role and everything yeah. but it, it it felt i don't know it it felt weird to me yeah and it's it's just he's such an iconic actor and all that. It was maybe it was just hard for me to accept it, you know, and see. But this didn't feel like any sort of like we have to put him in this. No. It seemed like it seemed like they wanted to, and it, it worked for the episode. And it was it was just it was a love letter yeah. to this era. So yeah, so so yeah, like there there's there's a lot here to respect and like. I just don't think it necessarily makes for the greatest episode. You know, and that's, you know, and that's it, you know, and like, and it's just, again, one of those things, if you had told me, like when we started all this, that there was an episode of Buster Keaton, I'm like, that one's probably, that has to be pretty good. Right. Like it's just, you know, yeah. like, it's especially also, you say, uh, Richard Matheson wrote it yeah. and Buster Keaton's in it. Like you would expect this to be top of the list, but overall outside of the whole silent film aesthetic that they use, it's pretty forgettable. So, unfortunately fair enough all right so i didn't i'm gonna ask you this i know the answer you do have any other notes or anything else you want to talk about about the episode no no i mean this this whole episode was like this gag works this one doesn't this works this does that's really all you got in this one there's not really a grand message outside of just uh you know being happy where you are and not taking things for granted and it's yeah you know it's it's not that deep of an, uh, of an episode, so there's not really much else to get into outside of uh, gags and production. So we just got to do it because it's a matter of function. We got we got to rate this twist, this amazing uh. twist. <laughs> I'm just gonna give it a one because you know it was a comedy episode, so things worked out. Like you just there was no like if this would ended like on a dark ending of like and and. Mulligan never got it back, and he was arrested for being, you know, indecently exposed in 1962 chasing a child. That would have been horrible, you know. But like, yeah. you know, but he got back. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. There's, there's really no, especially the twist at the end with, uh, uh, with uh, Rolla wanting to go back to his time. Yeah. Just like, how didn't he just put the helmet on as soon as he was like, oh, I gotta go. You know, like if there's, there's really no conflict there at the very end. No. 
So I, I, I'm going to give it a one because I feel like a zero is cruel. So I'm going to give it a one. I will point yeah. out, though, that, that chicken never got back to the past. So <laughs> the chicken that is probably like, got hit by a car immediately. <laughs> like, I want to I want to believe that this this chicken from 1890s like I don't understand society now. Like what is going on? Like you know, like so that's, uh, that's a much interesting that, story. Like that I, chicken went off and had its own uh <laughs> Pixar movie. <laughs> <laughs> there was a much tinier time helmet that was found later for the chicken. Um but yeah. So yeah, that that's it for the episode. So here here is the yeah, bigger I'm, thing. I'm gonna give it a one as well. No, I never gave my record. sorry. I, I, I'm stepping <laughs> on cool. all over that. No, I, um, I was agreeing with you. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm gonna give it a one as well. Let it's, me put on my time helmet. And I'll go back 30 seconds, and you can give your rating. Uh, so here is the bigger thing, according to my math, which is faulty at best. This is the halfway point of the original Twilight Zone series. Oh so, my god. Um. You know, because we know season four is shortened, um, and then last season was actually a reduced number of episodes. Just the math works out. This is literally the halfway marker of the original run, and it's a weird one to to be halfway on, right? But um, yeah, because I'm about halfway on my thoughts about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. Like I just it's one of these things. Where I feel like we just started this like just a few months ago, as opposed to. You know, we're what, how, like 70 some episodes in? Like, it's yeah, crazy to me. Strong. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I thought I was asking for like, like your thoughts and feelings about halfway through the series, but it's, it's just amazing to me that I, I still feel like we haven't even gotten started. And it's a weird thing to know that that's going to be downhill from here in terms of the original series. Not as in the quality, but, you know, just like we're going to be closer to the end than we were at the beginning at this very point. Yeah, no, I'm still excited because I there are a lot of episodes that uh, I remember that are in later seasons, so I, I'm I'm looking forward to getting some of those, and I'm still excited the fact that uh, these crazy swings of quality <laughs> uh, <laughs> I never know what I'm getting anymore yeah. with the show. It's it's baffling to me because this is not what I expected that we're going to get into when we started doing this show. Um, every week there's something that I, I, I had no idea was out there. Yeah. That's kind of like, like we've talked about this at nauseum before of the whole, like, yeah, I've seen the twilight zone. I have not seen the twilight zone, even <laughs> though, even though we're halfway through, I can still say, you know, now with confidence, I have not seen the twilight zone, you know, like it's, it's bizarre <laughs> at how much I did not know. And then we still have half of this and do you think I've seen maybe a third of the episodes that are left? I don't think I have. You know, like yeah, I, I just I don't yeah. even think so too. Just scrolling through. It, it's insane. Yeah. I, I had no idea that this was this big of a hole in my viewing. <laughs> so but but the good news is is that once upon a time is now off the list. We don't have to we don't have to come back to it. But um yeah, I just whatever. It's fine. Yeah, it was fine. I don't think yeah. I'll ever watch this one again. But I I'm definitely not gonna put this as like uh Mr. Denton on Doomsday or Mighty Casey levels or anything like that. It's it's definitely there's more to this um, just historically, I guess, that puts us a little bit up from the murderer that is the Mighty Casey. <laughs> like, would you watch this one again over I shot an arrow into the air or would you watch that one? Like, I guess we should do that. Oh, like, you know, that, that would you rather <laughs> with these episodes? <laughs> Like, that would be a fun game after going through them. <laughs> um, I'd, I'd watch this over I Shot in an Arrow. 
Yeah, like I, that's I'd be too. Um, but yeah, that's I just at want, least this one will put me in a good mood. Yeah, I mean, this is one that you just could, you could even just be like not like you get to the halfway point, you get up and you make a sandwich, and then you come back and you're like, oh, it's still going on. You make another sandwich. It's fine, <laughs> you know. Um, but I just love that the repairman ended up becoming the Maytag repairman and got typecast yeah. as a repairman for years. And I don't know. He did if, such a great job on this role. Don't touch my tools, you know, like, yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, that's that's going to do it for uh, Once Upon a Time and a wrap on the first half of the Twilight Zone. And this is on the heels of us learning today. And I forgot to mention this at the beginning of the episode that. The Jordan Peele uh, produced Twilight Zone that's coming in 2019. They have announced that Jordan Peele is going to actually be the host. And I think that's great. I, I am so excited that he's actually going to be the face of the Twilight Zone going forward. Yeah, I know he was kind of uh, apprehensive, I think, in the last article. Yeah. That he didn't really want to be in it or anything. But somebody convinced him. And I'm, I'm excited to see what they have. I'm always down for more anthology sci-fi and horror tv show so and i feel like he's gonna play it straight face that's gonna be great but i also hope that he finds ways to wander into the intros that's really that's all i want some really good like he walks into the frame where he gets out of a car or parachutes in like whatever's appropriate for the episode i just i want more like i'm sure there's more surprise thrilling entrances but i need i need i need some creative uh entrances from the host of the twilight zone that's that's all i really want (laughs) <laughs> and, and good writing and directing that's also what i want as well but, but <laughs> I, I don't have say. i don't have any doubt that he's not going to surround himself and put the best people in telling interesting stories that's going to be I the exciting so. part yeah i i hope it happens i'm always <laughs> like i said i'll believe it when i see it that's they fair. announce everything so early now that you hear about it before it's even hit the production floor and it's just so much stuff can go wrong. So I'll believe it when I see it. I hope it comes through. It'll be something. And uh, hopefully it comes out after we finish the original series so we can actually give some time to it. (laughs) Um, Well, I don't think it's going to, I think it's going to be running up against us probably sometime in season four. So we're going to, probably be a year out which you know unless we start like like you know really picking up our game and putting out episodes twice a week i don't know if we're going to catch it but we'll try um and if we do diversions and in, in, into more of are you afraid of the dark or whatever this could go on forever we don't know <laughs> well speaking of diversions um yeah i forget the exact date but we're both going to be on talk without rhythm again yeah it's going to actually be uh it will be the week of October. I don't know how the seventh is the week or the 13th. Either way, we're going to be recording on the 11th and that I'm sure the show will be available like that weekend. So the second week of October, we're going to be on talk without rhythm. Yeah. We're talking about ghost story, a new British anthology horror film that had just hit Blu-ray a few weeks ago. And one of my all time favorite amicus films from beyond the grave. Yeah, I'm excited. I've not seen either one of these, so this would be a nice, fresh, first-time watch and talking about it with uh, really knowledgeable people. And then somehow you invite me into the room, and it's going to be a good time. So I'm, oh, I'm stop it. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be weird, though, because we're reviewing two anthology films, so it's going to be at least six or seven <laughs> like short films, basically, that we're going to be reviewing. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to it, though. I'm, I'm considering it... Uh, a pre-Halloween special. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's going to be basically, we're, that's what we're going to do, you know, whatever. Anyway, we'll get there when we get there. But uh, so yep. before we talk about our next episode, Kevin, how can people find us? 
You can find us on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube at Strange Highways Podcast. You can email us and leave us voicemails at strangehighwayspodcast at gmail.com. And if you guys would head over to iTunes, give us a five-star review. It would definitely help us out. And you can subscribe to us while you're there on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Satchel, uh, Google Play, pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts, we are there. Yeah. So next episode of our show is going to be five characters in search of an exit. I know this is one of the high points of the series that people talk about. I've never seen this episode, but I know I've heard it referenced multiple times. Um, here, Serling believes it's actually quite great, too. So let me read what he has to say about it. Next week on the Twilight Zone, you'll find yourself inexplicably entangled in this dark dungeon. You'll meet an incredible group of people who, like you, will be quite unable to explain how they got there, why they got there, or how they're going to get out. And at the end, we're going to belt you with one of the most surprising endings we've ever had. Next week, five characters in search of an exit on the Twilight Zone. He's calling a shot. Let's see, like, you know, let's see if that works or not. So, yeah. Yeah, there's going to be a uh, clown in the episode, so <laughs> hopefully it's not Gary Cole. <laughs> what, what, are you, what are you talking about? Uh, Gary Cole from, um, oh, wait, what was it? Here, I got it right here. <laughs> like, we don't have, we, it's not going to be that clown. It's not going to be him. Oh, right. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, five characters in search of an exit. I'm in search of an exit for an outro on this, so I would put up an error title card, but you guys wouldn't be able to read it. Um, but, yeah. Uh, just put, make sure your time helmets are tight, grab your chicken. That's not what I meant to say. And I don't know, like, uh, I got, I got nothing. Yeah. I don't know. How about you <laughs> don't put on the time helmet, right? What's the idea of running around the street with no pants on?